Welcome back to Love, Life, and Legacy, a podcast dedicated to helping you navigate these hypersexualized times of ours. And in today's episode, we have a special guest by the name of Lily Morick, who comes to us from Canada. You may know of this country. It's in North America. It's where I'm from. And Lily is doing an amazing job. She's really cool. She came into our world via Pierre Beauregard, who is always on the front lines of advocacy throughout Canada, trying to change age verification and meeting some really cool people along the way, Lily being one of them. And Lily herself is such a powerhouse. She started an advocacy group on campus in spite of some friction with haters out there. She just kept on trucking and now she's evolved her movement into a podcast and you can learn a lot from her. If you feel like you want to do something with your life, you want to make a difference, then listen to people like Lily because she is making a difference in a very special and meaningful way. She's very well-spoken. I was so moved by how clear her mind is and her heart and how she's moving her body into action. So everybody, please welcome Lily Morick to the podcast. So welcome back, everybody. It's me, and I'm not with Benji today. I'm with somebody very special. Probably everybody knows Pierre, like everybody in the world knows Pierre. (laughs) Just knows everybody. He goes out and he makes it his point to meet everybody. And he introduced me to this young lady, woman, person, human, fellow human. Uh, Either of them work. (laughs) All of the above. And her name is Lily Morik, or Morik. If you're from the East Coast, it's Morik. Do you have any French in you? I have French Canadian in me, but I think the name Morik probably comes from Slovakia, which is where my paternal grandfather comes from. So it's Morik. Thank you. <laughs> and so she works for NCOSI, for National Center on Sexual Exploitation. And we already had Lisa Thompson, as you know, but she also has her own initiative called Questioning Pornography that I really want to get into because, you know, as at High Noon, we started because we really care, but we started kind of with a budget. We had some staff, we had some stuff, but Lily is just, kind of, I guess, a trailblazer who just really cares. And I want to find out what kind of person builds something on their own because they care and what Mm -hmm. makes her tick and why she's fighting this fight because she's helping to create awareness about pornography. And it's not, for lack of a better term, the sexiest topic. (laughs) That's the worst (laughs) term ever. But it's not the easiest to talk about. And it's definitely not for hobbyists. It's like touching on a nerve. This is like a cultural nerve that you're touching and you're doing it because you want to. First of all, welcome. Thank you. Sincerely, we love having different voices here. And I want to get into this. What is questioning pornography? When did it start? What's the, like the origin story of this thing? For sure, yeah. We've definitely evolved. So actually how questioning pornography started was as a university club. Because I was in university at the time and my thoughts on pornography were kind of evolving out of conversations with my university classmates. And I've always kind of been a bit of an activist in my personality. And so I already was involved in a couple of other university clubs working on different social justice issues. And then this issue of pornography was really getting to me through these conversations I was having. And then what happened next is I realized there was a lot of research on how pornography is harming people. And that's what really made me realize, okay, this is something we can talk about. Because it's one thing when people have their different opinions and their different intuitions about whether or not something is harmful. But when you have this massive body of research proving that it's harmful, that's when I realized, okay, we need to spread awareness about this and we can actually move forward in these conversations. And I want to help instigate that. So I decided because I had background with running university clubs, I would start essentially 
a pornography harms awareness club on my university campus. So that's what I did. And it definitely was a little bit daunting at first, because as you say, it's not the sexiest topic. And I definitely was thinking about, oh, what are my friends going to think of me? All of that. But yeah, I just went for it because I felt that especially as I started reading the research myself and kind of reading the stories of some of these people that had been harmed by pornography, it was just really bothering me, I guess you could say. And it bothered me specifically that pornography was just so accepted as normal and no one ever really even gave it a second thought, right? So that's when I was like, okay, at least I want to start that conversation. And that's why I named ourselves Questioning Pornography because all I really wanted was to start that questioning. I didn't really even need to convince people right away that pornography is bad or anything like that. I just wanted to push back a little bit against the total acceptance of pornography and at least get people thinking about it. That's what I did. I put out, you know, some advertisements for anyone who might want to join me in starting this initiative on the campus, gathered a few solid people. And yeah, we just started having conversations on the campus and Prior to COVID hitting, those would be in-person conversations. So literally hallway activism, people walking by the hallways, we'd have our little sign, what are your thoughts on pornography? And we just start those conversations. And we definitely did get a lot of weird looks, but we also had a few very productive and fruitful conversations. And it was great. Of course, had lots of people tearing down our posters and all those kind of things as well. But that's how we started, on-campus conversations. And then COVID hit, so we had to move online. And we transitioned to having an online meetup group. So through the platform meetup.com, people can create different little groups designated to talking about different topics. So there'd be, I don't know, let's say a group for Jordan Peterson fans or a group for Sam Harris fans, all these different things. And so we just started a questioning pornography meetup group, and that's how we continued our conversations. So that was really cool. And then the most recent evolution was one of my friends who's been working on with me on questioning pornography since the beginning told me he thought I would reach a bigger audience if I switched from the meetup group to a podcast. And at first that was really intimidating to me. And I didn't think of myself as at all a podcast person. I'm not tech savvy. I didn't think of myself as eloquent or someone who's able to kind of think on the spot like that. But I decided to give it a go. And so the latest evolution was we became the Questioning Pornography podcast. Wow. So let me ask you, Okay, I want to dig into this a little bit. When you first started attracting people, you said you've found some solid people, but like, what were people really looking for? Did they have a similar desire to want to unearth the reality of pornography or like who was showing up to these? That's a really good question. Yeah, we had a variety. I think probably the most people were people who had a previous experience with porn addiction themselves and had experienced it as being harmful to them. And then we also, sometimes there's overlap between these categories, but we had Christian people who were really concerned about how pornography was kind of distorting kind of the beauty of sexuality, I guess you could say. And then we just had some, maybe by some, I'll say one, (laughs) he's the one who stuck around the longest, the one who convinced me to start the podcast, but one just normal atheist guy or whatever, who just found it a really fascinating topic to think about intellectually, especially in considering the societal implications, I guess you could say, things like how pornography has evolved over time back when in our parents' generation, for example, there would be the adult section of the movie rental store. And of course, kids wouldn't go there. But now it's 
just everything online, completely accessible to all these kids? And what are the societal implications of that? What damage is being caused to children because of that? So yeah, we did have a bit of a range, if that makes sense. But essentially, overall, just people who recognize that in some sense, pornography was harming individuals and society and thought that there should be some pushback on that. So it seems like more of a conversation than it didn't really start out as advocacy per se. It was more just awareness or what would you call it? I suppose it would depend on how you define advocacy. So maybe let's start with that. What does that word mean in your mind? (laughs) I guess creating awareness based off of a predetermined worldview. Like, I think this, therefore, you should know this kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. That's a good question. Did it, would I have defined it as advocacy? I think certainly I had an established view on pornography that it was harmful. And ultimately that was the message that I hoped to communicate, but I always find it more effective to bring people into a conversation where they feel that they're being listened to as well. And their point of view is being heard as well. And so in that sense, I suppose I framed my advocacy more as a conversation. I didn't want to just be trying to bang people over the head with my thoughts and my opinions, but I wanted to create a space where anyone could come and talk about pornography. And so that's why we would have things like the meetup group that would be open to as many people as wanted to and as many variety of perspectives as wanted to come. And we would just talk about it. And the thing is, when we have those kind of conversations, people do end up realizing, well, not everyone, but many people do end up realizing over time that it is harmful because we do have the research on our side. (laughs) But ultimately, like I said, the main thing that bothered me at the beginning was just that it was completely accepted as status quo and no one even questioned it. And I think that that's why I just wanted to get that ball rolling where people could at least question it and could at least think twice before just being like, this is a part of normal life. Everyone does it. It's fine, you know? Yeah, no, I love it. I love challenging the status quo and getting people to actually think. It's like raising awareness of the idea that there could be an alternative Mm -hmm. worldview. And so was there pushback? Like you mentioned people ripping down posters potentially, but did anybody show up looking for a fight or like, has it been generally attracting reasonable people? Yeah, there has been some pushback of, different varieties. Definitely when we were on campus, there was some, like the tearing down the posters, perhaps the most clearest example of that. But I remember I would, I would start out going all the way around the school, putting up posters. But by the time I circled back to where I began, those posters would already be gone. So oh, I just kept yeah. chasing myself around in a circle. The posters might stay up for, you know, a few minutes and that kind of thing. But yeah, so definitely people, you know, they'd vandalize it right on our posters, like F off, swerfs, you know, that kind of thing. So there was that. We got a little bit of hate mail, but ultimately when we moved online and started having discussions online, you know, people would only come out to that if they were actually interested in having a discussion. So that helped a little bit. At one point, it unfortunately got really bad where people were sending us child pornography through our Facebook page. So that endured for a number of months, but that seems to have died down by now. So that's good. Well, first of all, sorry to hear. Thank you. I mean, that's so lame. But what I'm really inspired by is the fact that you're still here and there's clearly a passion. So like in all of this, through the initial reason for you to start this, plus the fact that you've been going deeper and deeper through conversations, Mm -hmm. what is this passion that's like, what do you feel that is so egregious about porn or so worth 
fighting. I'm very curious about the drive, what drives you, you know, because <laughs> it's you. not typical and I, I would love it to be typical, right? Mm. Because it's not you, again, it's not you bashing people over the head with your opinion. It's like, hey, this is important. Let's talk about it. And you're willing to stand your ground until other people are also willing to have that conversation. And I think that's the healthiest way to do it instead of going around shoving your opinions into other people's faces. Mm-hmm. And also the opposite of that is to just remain silent is this like really healthy medium mm-hmm. where you have a particular worldview, but you want to talk about it and hear other people's point of view. So I, I want to know like what drives a person like you to do this? <laughs> I think that when I think about what draws me to tackling these difficult issues in general, there are a few things. Number one, I've always been drawn to topics that no one else is, not no one, but few other people are willing to talk about because I feel like there's a greater need there. It's not that I think necessarily pornography is more damaging than cancer, for example, right? But we have a lot of people who are willing to tackle cancer and are willing to raise funds to do research on cancer cures. And yet there are a few people who would be comfortable approaching the issue of pornography and talking about the harms of pornography. And so when I feel like there's a hole where no one really wants to go there, that's when I'm like, okay, someone has to go there. So I will, if that makes sense. Uh, So that's kind of what draws me to these controversial, I guess you could say, topics. And it's actually not that I'm confrontational by nature. Some people say like, oh, do you just love confrontation? I'm like, I actually hate confrontation. It's pretty hard for me to overcome, but I do it because I think it's important. If the topic grabs me, then I do it. The other thing that I think draws me to kind of approaching topics where I think a positive change can be made or where I think there's a lot of damage being done, I think it kind of be captured in this quote from a Cat Stevens song, actually. (laughs) Do you know the song by any chance, Father and Son by Cat Stevens? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful song. And I distinctly remember one time listening to it and realizing that this line captured how I feel about the pornography topic and other topics so well. The line is simply, it's hard, but it's harder to ignore it. So when it comes to topics like pornography, where I feel like there's a lot of damage being caused to people, it's hard to talk about that. And it's hard to research that 24-7 and kind of, it's a seedy area. You know, it is hard on mental health, but what's harder for me personally, and I understand not everyone is built like me, but it's harder for me to ignore that and not do anything about it. And so there's a sense in which doing something about the topic and trying to move the world towards improvement and a better place, it's almost a sort of self-therapy because I find that when I ignore it, I go absolutely crazy. And I remember for the first kind of maybe the first month or so when I was learning more about just how damaging pornography was and not doing anything about it, I was going crazy. I was walking around like a zombie and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is this is horrific. I remember once actually getting in, almost getting into car accident because I was so distracted and thinking about all these horrible things I was reading. And then, so I kind of had to do something about it. Yeah, just to feel like at least I can move the world towards something better, right? And not just sit in this horribleness, <laughs> if that makes sense. Well, that's, I mean, I would love to stop and let everybody breathe that in, you know, <laughs> because, well, okay, there's a couple things. First of all, just the fact that you can be so self-aware that you can say, I don't like this. I'm not comfortable with this, but I'd be less comfortable if I just let it alone, if I just mm-hmm. let this thing exist. But the other thing is you obviously are attuned with the suffering of others. You're empathetic and this a wide array of topics that you could tackle, right? Mm-hmm. And 
somehow you ended up here. There's a lot of, even, you know, by your categorization, there's many topics or issues in this world that people don't want to talk about, Mm -hmm. but still somehow you chose this or it chose you or like, how did you narrow it down to be like, okay, and he just kind of accepted it. And the reason I'm asking this is because I know there's a lot of people listening that have a lot of things pulling at them. They're mm-hmm. looking at this world. They're like, I would love to live in a world that's not completely dying or like mm-hmm. seemingly dying, mm-hmm. but I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. But like, how do you narrow it down to a cause? Because this is in many ways consuming a large majority of your time with questioning pornography and and cozy kind of combined mm-hmm. takes a lot of your bandwidth. So how did you narrow it down? Like, was it, did you just let go and let it choose you? Or did you just have to throw everything away and just kind of gamble on this? Or how did you choose? Yeah, it's a really good question. And before I begin answering it, I will just say that to the people who might be struggling on narrowing down issues, one thing that my friend said to me, which was helpful, was he's like, you could do this work for 10 years and you'd still only be like 33 and then you could work on a different issue and it's fine, you know? (laughs) And so it's not as though you have to commit to one issue for the rest of your life. Many people do. And I may be with this issue for the rest of my life. I could definitely see that happening, but I also could start working on a different issue in 10 years and that's also fine. So I will just say that first, but then in terms of why did I pick this issue at the time being, I think there were a lot of things in my past that kind of primed me for this issue. So for example, the concept of sexual objectification and just how suboptimal that was, how suboptimal of a way of viewing other people that was, has always kind of been something intuitive to me and that resonated with me emotionally. And I have a very distinct memory of the first time I was catcalled, for example. I was in grade eight, I was walking around in a library and then these two guys just started following me and making strange noises and I didn't know what they were doing. And then eventually I kind of clued in and it felt really horrible, you know? And I remember saying to my friend afterwards, and I was talking about the experience that I felt dementored. And what I mean by that, that was a reference to the dementors in Harry Potter, (laughs) because what the dementors do is they suck out the soul of people, right? And so, you know, whether you want to use the soul, I know that has like religious connotations, whether you want to use that word soul or mind, personality, whatever you want to use. Basically, what I felt is that those guys were viewing me just as an empty shell of a body and that there was nothing more to me than that. And I really didn't like that. And it felt very off and it felt like not the right way to view people, right? So from a young age, that seed was always kind of in me for whatever reason of knowing that people were meant to be viewed and seen as more than just a body, more than just a sexual object whose primary purpose is to give you your orgasm, that kind of thing, right? So that was always in me. I also always had, I guess I was just always kind of attuned to how sexuality can be used in a really beautiful way and to foster love and meaningful intimacy and then how it can be used in a manipulative way or in a way to kind of, in a selfish way, I guess you could say, how we can use other people solely to fulfill our sexual appetite and the drastic difference between those two approaches to sexuality, right? So I was always kind of attuned to that again from a young age. And what I saw in pornography was a very clear example of how sexuality was very self-oriented. There's no relationship involved in pornography, right? It really is just about that person on the screen or whatever. You're using them as some kind of tool to give you your orgasm, right? And there's no, of course, no expression of love there or anything like that. And so it was fairly clear that pornography was just a suboptimal expression of human sexuality. And I 
felt that it was a barrier to more meaningful relationships and more loving ways of engaging in sexuality and also just more authentic ways of viewing other human people as more than just body parts and more than just sexual objects, right? And so that was kind of my base intuition on pornography that allowed me to see it from the beginning as something very suboptimal. But then as I briefly alluded to at the beginning of this conversation, it was really when I discovered the body of research on pornography that I became motivated to do something about it. Because like I said, I had these intuitions and I would have some conversations with people about pornography. But again, when our intuitions kind of didn't match, there wasn't too much I could do. There wasn't really any way to move forward in that conversation. And we would kind of just talk ourselves into philosophical circles, right? But when I stumbled upon the research archive on the Your Brain on Porn website, I was so blown away just seeing all these collections of studies on all these different harms that pornography poses to individuals and society. And I was like, what? There's science behind this? And so that's when I was like, okay, first of all, I need to learn. I need to read all this stuff. And second of all, I need to bring this into conversations because there is a way forward. There is a way to, to move beyond just clashing intuitions. And we can say, no, this is fact that this is actually damaging to relationships. This is actually damaging to people's views of women, for example. Like There's science behind this. So that's kind of what clinched it for me was when I realized there was a huge body of research. I was like, okay, this is my topic. I'm going to run with it. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. I really like that perspective as well, that kind of like... I guess we're somewhat brainwashed through the educational system to be like, this is your vocational track. Mm. And so you're kind of committed to that. But the world is clearly going through a transitional period where you realize that your interests can be fractured. You know, they can be segmented and you can all compartmentalize them. You can wrap them up. You can move on. You can, you know, pass them on and you can contribute to a cause mm -hmm. or to a vocation, to an interest for a period of time. But you also don't have to stick with it for life. And that's a very healthy way that you're contributing to this body of work, to this momentum that can be continued beyond you. And I think that's almost a healthier way because then you don't have this superhero syndrome where you feel like the whole world is on your shoulders. You, oh, I have to go save the world again. Yeah. Like, that's not a productive energy. It's like, okay, I have a lot of fire in my belly and I can contribute to this cause. And so long as I have this fire, I can productively contribute. I really like that. It sounds like you've been ruminating on sexuality and the implications of selfish sexuality mm -hmm. personally and how you've been impacted by others on a personal level. But then when you saw that at scale, how damaging this is, that we need to talk about this, that you did something about it. It's mm -hmm. really cool stuff. And yeah, kudos to you again, because I think I know everybody's struck at some point by some righteous indignation, mm -hmm. some sense of like, this is the line in the sand and I won't let you go beyond this line. But then some voice in their head says, ah, no, you, you know, you don't have the power. You don't, you don't have the you know, strength to start a cause or to do anything meaningful. And I think that's where a lot of people stop. They get this feeling, but then they don't do anything with it. They don't invite people to the conversation. They don't tell people. They don't even let it come out of their mouth. Mm. This is what I think kudos to you. And also anybody listening, let that be infectious. Like let's stop being infected by stupid viruses and let's be infected <laughs> by each other's desire to want change and to create change. So thank you. And so what have you learned? Like since you've been having these conversations, you've obviously learned a lot through all the research that you've been doing, but also I'm sure you've learned a lot about other people's perspectives and other worldviews through all this. So how has your own understanding of this issue evolved since you started this project? 
Yeah, that's a really good question. I would say that, first of all, I learned a lot just about how to approach these conversations, conversations that can get very polarized and very emotional and very separated into these ideological boundaries with everyone judging the other side. I learned a lot about kind of how to move past that a little bit. And meaning, could you just specify a little bit? What does that mean? Uh Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I was about to get there. (laughs) So basically, I think that where I've grown is being able to identify where other people are at and then take the conversation from there and kind of slowly inch it forward from there. At the beginning, it was very tempting to just dump all my distress about pornography on the person right at once. They say it's horrible in this way, in this way, in this way, in that way, in that way, in that way. And they just weren't ready for that because pornography was a part of their life or they considered it to be totally normal. And you just come across as this extremely disturbed emotional person (laughs) that isn't worth their time of day, right? And so what I've learned is to be able to kind of first listen to the other person and their thoughts, and then having identified where they're at, kind of move them in baby steps or try to move them in baby steps. I don't need to convince them in one conversation of everything about pornography that I think is wrong. But what I can do is start them along that path of questioning, right? And so, yeah, it's really about kind of identifying if they're in this place over here, can I get them one step further? Because if I try to rush them from where they are all the way to the finish line, they likely just won't be receptive to it. So that's kind of like strategic things like that I've learned. I would also say that, again, in trying to move past these polarized ideological conversations, I've learned a lot about just how important like intellectual honesty and nuance when it's called for is because it is very tempting when I feel very strongly about a topic to always pick the worst, most extreme stories or exaggerate facts a little bit, do a, a tiny bit of cherry picking, right? That's all very tempting. And not that I ever really went down that route, but there was definitely You know, I think I may have dabbled in that a little bit more at the very beginning, but I soon realized that if we want to build credibility and also build a space where people feel like, yeah, like this is a conversation that's open to them as well. And this is just about getting them to really be thoughtful and consider things as opposed to it's about activists trying to bang them over the head with their views, right? Like being able to be very intellectually honest and identify nuances where they exist and not just always try to paint everything as completely black and white or paint it as the worst possible. I think that approach is really important. And it's also just important for self-respect and integrity, I think. So those would be some things that I learned. I think I also just learned a lot about you know, people's experiences of pornography and also people's experiences of quitting pornography because I myself was never a porn consumer. And so partnering with those guys that I mentioned at university who had been there and then seeing their evolution since they quit, that was really insightful to me. And I could see even more I see even more how pornography was harmful to them because I could see the change in them. Some of them I actually journeyed with from when they were consuming pornography up until the end when they quit, right? And seeing the transformation and seeing how they suddenly were able to look at women in a different way, they were able to enter into more meaningful relationships. It really just shed even more light on what pornography is doing to people when they don't they don't even realize it, right? It's kind of like they have these sunglasses on or or whatever that, but they're used to seeing the world as all shady, but then they take it off and it's like, what? <laughs> you know? <laughs> so that kind of thing. And then just also again through partnering with people who had previously been porn consumers, 
growing in compassion towards porn consumers and and being able to understand kind of what people are up against when it comes to the attraction of pornography and the widespread availability of pornography and just how easy it is to get caught up in that. I think that I've been able to grow in empathy towards that as well. And that's become a focus of the conversations I've had, whereas before it would have been more just about like, look how pornography is fueling sexism towards women and violence towards women. But now I've taken more into account like how pornography is harming the consumer as well. Yeah. Putting a face to all these statistics Mm -hmm. and stories. Yeah. No, I hear you. That's really great because when you get into ideological discussions or debates, it's easy to stop seeing the humanity of the other side as well Mm -hmm. and where they're at. So your compassion to kind of put yourself a little bit closer to where somebody's at and view the world through their lens and hear what they need to be able to convey what you think they need to hear where they're at Mm -hmm. is really, really helpful. Because I think a lot of people make issues that they're really passionate about very unrelatable Mm. based on how they present it and how zealous they are. It's kind of gross. (laughs) You know, it's kind of like, yeah, yeah. that's your thing. Cool. You're passionate. But it's not really doesn't attract anybody. So that's a great approach. I like that. Yeah, I like that word you used unrelatable. And that's exactly what I've been trying to overcome when I talk about kind of identifying where people are at and meeting them there. It really is about trying to make the conversation and make the issue relatable and have it resonate with the broader culture, right? I don't want to just attract other anti-porn people and preach to the choir. I want to be able to resonate with the rest of the world. And so with that, it really is about finding ways to be relatable to other people. So thank you for that word. (laughs) Yeah, no, thank you. I think it's also what you exude in any given moment and during a conversation, whether you're really there to listen and help them empty out and whether you're just trying to fill their cup up, even though they're already full. And it's a losing exchange because you want to give them something. They're not able to entertain new concepts because their mind's already full, their heart's already full, Mm -hmm. but they need to be able to express first, get out their viewpoints. And it takes a level of maturity as somebody who's holding court, somebody who's, you know, hosting these events that you can give people space to, even if what they're saying sounds ludicrous, that (laughs) you don't tell them that you allow them to come to their own conclusion that, you know, they're not as informed as they might think. Mm -hmm. That takes a lot of maturity. So that's really cool that you, you've been doing this. How long? You said only two years. Two years. That's no, amazing. not even two years, actually. Just coming up on two years. Incredible. It's a really deep. Rel- I thought you were going to go with all like you learned different facts about, you know, pornography in this oh. time, but you went much deeper. So I'm glad. <laughs> I, I could go with the facts for two if you wanted. No, but... no, no. That was way better. Way okay, better than cool. That. So since you've been doing this for two years, I'm sure you've run into dealing with some heavy hitters here. We're dealing with cartels. We're dealing with big budgeted, you know, conglomerates. You know, you're in Canada where Pornhub is from and we're seeing how much they impact culture and policy and all this stuff. So what intimidates you about this discussion? Is there something that kind of like, you know, the boundaries of a conversation and when you start to reach those boundaries, you start to get that nervous feeling like you're going to get pushed back or, you know, you're entering the lion's den. Is there something in particular that intimidates you about the work that you're doing? Yeah, that's a good question. I think in general, I am always a little bit intimidated. And that just goes back to what I said earlier of not actually being confrontational by nature. And the reason why I'm doing this work is really just because I think the topic is so important, but I don't actually thrive off of disagreeing with other people. Right. Um, And so, yeah, yeah, that's fair. But like, and I don't really thrive off of like, 
heated debate or anything like that. I do, so I do always have the temptation to kind of, I guess, what's what I'm looking for to kind of soften my own thoughts to be more palatable to other people, not in the correct way that I talked about before of meeting people where they're at, but more just in a, I'm almost ashamed of my own thoughts because other people sure. disagree way. So that is always a bit of an intimidation for me, especially when it's face-to-face dialogue with someone. But I've managed to, for the most part, get through that because again, I do believe I have the truth on my side. I have the research on my side, right? So I think my feet are on solid ground. So that helps a little bit with the intimidation. In terms of moving beyond general terms and what specifically intimidates me most, I mean, certainly in that period of time when we had pedophiles sending us child pornography, that was a little intimidating. Uh, And just not knowing, realizing that, okay, now I'm not just dealing with an angry college student, but this is someone who is okay with committing criminal acts. Where else is this going to go, right? That was a little bit scary. And, you know, I took some steps for personal security. But after a while, I realized that the chances that someone is going to move beyond harassing people on the computer and actually do something more dangerous is quite low. And so kind of more mainly got over that. But yeah, overall, I just think that, I don't know. I don't know that there's too much else that intimidates me, actually. (laughs) That's fantastic. Thank you for your candid response. Because, I mean, it does, when you get struck by that righteous indignation that I was talking about, it's kind of like you want to go straight to the main bad guy in the movie, like the big dragon Mm. or whatever. But you don't know that you're not ready for that yet. And so it's Mm. a process of building character, building strength, going through a series of smaller challenges to get to the big one. But in the moment when you do get hate mail or that kind of stuff, it really feels so big, even though, you know, from an objective standpoint, it's just somebody, some lonely person on a computer, you know, pressing a couple of buttons and sending it to you. It's more mm-hmm. like the intent that you can right. see that the darkness and a human that's willing to do that to be able to overcome that is no small feat. So again, I appreciate you for overcoming that. And for anybody listening, you have to expect that. It's kind of like if you don't receive hate mail every once in a while, you're probably not doing anything too meaningful. <laughs> you know, you're not angering the bad guys, which means that they, they don't even know you exist. So wonderful. And I'm glad it stopped there. Now, conversely, and to end on a happy note, what really excites you and what inspires you about the work that you're doing and the progress that you're making? And do you see cultures getting better? Are you hopeful for any particular reason? Yeah, I think one of the things that's been really exciting to me, especially lately, is just seeing global efforts towards age verification for online pornography. So, you know, recognizing the gap that I previously talked about, where in previous generations, porn was not accessible to kids. And it wasn't just said to be an 18 plus product, but, you know, you couldn't get a pornographic magazine or DVD without giving your ID. And so kids did not have access to porn. Absent, you know, digging up a couple of magazines under their dad's bedroom. It could only go so far, right? But now it's a totally different ballgame. And so I think countries, including my own in Canada, are starting to catch on to this problem where there is no barrier between kids and this 18 plus product. And so they started looking at solutions for that. And there are methods for verifying people's age for online content. And they've been used in, you know, for example, in the UK, they've had online age verification for a while for online gambling. And so we've started to look at expanding that to pornography, to online pornography. And there's been a bill going through the Senate in my country, Canada, on implementing age verification for pornography, online pornography. And I'm really hopeful about where that will end up. We did just have an election. So it kind of, things have to start from the beginning again, but I I do think it'll get back to where 
was before, which is it had passed in the Senate and was just about to go to the House of Commons. So I think that will make a big difference for the amount of kids that are exposed to this content, just way too young. And I think that will be a really good thing. So that gives me hope. And just in general, kind of, it's an indication that the culture is starting to catch on, that this content is damaging for kids. We need to do something about it. So that's awesome. The other thing that gives me hope is just always, always, always hearing about people's success stories, I guess, when they quit pornography. And it, it does go back again to what I said before about kind of those sunglasses coming off, you know, seeing how people who maybe didn't even realize the way that pornography was negatively affecting them or their relationships, when they quit pornography, how much more meaningful their relationships become and how much better they're able to love people and how they're able to view women in a much more like healthy way. That is always so extremely encouraging to me. Every time I hear a story like that, it really just gives me, it's like putting like a rocket pack on me and I just like get a big boost of energy, you know, because, because ultimately that's what I want. Like I said, that something better is what I want to push the world towards. And it really is about being able to enter into more loving, meaningful relationships and interactions with the opposite gender. So when I see that with the pornography variable removed in a person's life, that something better is attainable, then I'm like, okay, this is exactly what we're shooting for. And we can shoot for this on a larger societal level as well. So yeah, hearing people's individual stories in that regard is is super, super hopeful for me. Wow. Yeah, that that's both very personal and very broad, like the policy and the person. That's mm-hmm. really cool. Well, yeah, thank you. I mean, I don't want to overinflate your ego, Lily. Um, <laughs> but I, I just do think it's really cool what you're doing, especially since it's self-initiated and also self-perpetuated because it's hard to start something. It's harder to continue something, especially Mm. for a few years. So I really appreciate that. And you're making a big difference because college campuses, you know, there's so many people suffering, but we're so good. In doing this work, I'm sure you've recognized the fact that people are really good at acting like they're okay, even when Mm. they're not. And you can see that There's a lot of people suffering and they don't know how to cope. And porn is just this mass numbing agent that, you know, society has adopted. That's not helping at all. It's hurting and you're helping. You're really helping to, you know, alleviate a lot of people's pain, I'm sure, by having these conversations that are not happening otherwise. So I really Mm. appreciate your work and I really uh, wish you the best, especially you're from my native land of Canada. (laughs) needs all the help it can. You and Pierre on opposite coasts fighting crime like superheroes. (laughs) Really cool. Pierre's pretty great. <laughs> he's pretty awesome. He's relentless. I'm glad he's on our side. So yeah, thank you for your time and thank you for your an incredibly wise person. I don't want to say for your age. I just mean in general, you're a very wise person and it's very nice to pick your brain. Do you have any last things? Do you, do you want people to contact? Like, don't you have a website? We have. So where you probably want to go is just our social medias. And then that will link you to our podcast as well, which is our main initiative right now. So if you, I don't know, do you have show notes for this podcast? I could send you those links. Great. So yeah, I guess people feel free to check out our podcast. I alternate between having interviews with people that I would consider as some kind of authority on this topic. And then on the other side of that alternation, I would have a research highlight episode. So it's just kind of slowly picking through the hundreds and hundreds of studies that are out there. And I'll highlight one every couple of weeks and kind of be, here's what this study found about how porn is damaging. Anyway, so feel free to check out that podcast. And there's also on our social media, of course, there would be ways to contact me just through our Facebook page or on Twitter or even Anchor, the platform through which I distribute my podcast. There's a messaging function there as well. So yeah, by all means, if you wanted to reach out for whatever reason, I'd be happy to receive that. 
Amazing. Yes. So we will have your links in the show notes. Everybody, just thank Lily for all the work she's doing. She's making the world a better place. Thank you, Lily. Thank uh, you as well, Andrew. And I'd say the same to you. Definitely making the world a better place. <laughs> awesome. I hope you found that episode enjoyable. And before we go, I wanted to challenge you to take your life on, to take your life to the next level. And if you're struggling in any way with pornography, with masturbation, with issues of sexuality that just are not helping you at all, if you want to reclaim your life, reclaim your eyes and ears, your time, your energy, then take our free 15-day challenge. If you go to highnoon.org, you can find our 15-day challenge right there on the front page. Take it. It's absolutely free, no strings attached. We've designed it to help you gain some level of momentum in your journey of sexual integrity so that you can take the next step, whatever that may be. It could be to go to our deeper Ascend program, which is a 90-day program we have. It could be to reach out to that accountability partner. It could be to just take the whatever steps you need to take in your journey to build the life of heavenly sexuality that you deserve. So go to highnoon.org right now if you want to break up with porn and start to get engaged with the life of your dreams and eventually marry it. Doesn't it sound nice? So go to highnoon.org to find all of those resources and more. It's been a slice.